I, I apologize in advance if my cat screams in the background. Hey, I apologize in advance when my cat screamed in the background. I'm going to not apologize for screaming myself in the foreground. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 54 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web unclogger. I'm Sam, and I shove pixels around with a broom. I'm Carol, and I'm still figuring it out. And today is July 5th, 2016. Warning, anything can happen on this show. There will be profanity and some other nonsense. So if you're a child, go away. <laughs> hey, Sam. Hey, what's up? What happened on Friday? Well, you see, Seth, uh, I got a scan. I was scanned by a team of... By a pet? By, by a pet. And... <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I went to the, basically I went to the hospital in the morning and uh, had to get injected with a bunch of a thing called contrast, which anybody who's had a CT scan, a medical scan, will know what it does, but basically it, it makes you feel super warm uh, when it goes into your body. But here's the weird That's thing. That's because it's full of radiation. Right? Wait, mm -hmm. backstory, backstory real quick for people who, if this is their first time listening. Backstory, I had, you know, I had some cancer for like two years and I was scheduled to get a PET scan last week. And the PET All scan right. is what tells you if you still have it or not. And I've been clear since December. And so this was the next one where something could go wrong, basically, is the way I always view these. So <laughs> they tend to be a bit stressful. So uh, Friday, I get to the hospital. And they pipe, put a pipe in my arm, otherwise known as an IV, if you're medical. And arm pipe. I got an arm pipe and then uh, lay me down in this big metal tube, which is also known as a CT scanner. And a human pipe. And uh, as I'm laying in this human pipe, we got to elevate your arm pipe, and then they pipe in some contrast. And what contrast does is it makes it so that the image that the CT scan takes somehow, using black magic of the inside of your body, um, becomes more clear. It literally adds more contrast to the picture. That's like what it does. Um, but they inject it in you as you're in the tube that's taking these pictures. And as a result of this, what happens is you, you can kind of feel it go in. And then usually for most people, what happens is it makes some part of them hot, like some part of their torso hot. Mm. So for me, it was my neck. Um, so my throat suddenly f felt like super warm, like I just like I had a hot cocoa or something. You like know? you just swigged a whiskey bottle? Yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> it was just like my throat was just super warm. Um, and that was it for me. But I know from talking to a bunch of other uh, people who have gone through cancer treatment that for most people, what happens after that is that the contrast uh, basically gets immediately sent to your bladder by your body, okay? Because mm. it's like, get the shit out of here. But the best part of that is that it still feels super warm the whole time. And so people end up feeling like they've peed their pants while they're sitting in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> Almost without fail. Most people, yeah, I, I was actually very surprised. I was waiting for that to happen, but it never did. Um, and I did not pee my pants, which is good. But did you, good, so you didn't get the warm crotch? I didn't get warm crotch. <laughs> the hot, the hot crotch? I only got, I only got hot neck. I didn't get warm crotch. So. No warm crotch in your series of tubes. Yeah. I mean, did I feel it like, feel like you peed your neck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, what? Why am I peeing in my neck? It was just a, it was an interesting situation. Um, but yeah, so I got, I got out of that, waited for the doctor and then they gave me the all clear, which is super good <laughs> because... Okay. As the rest of these butterscotches know, um, been a little anxious this past week, as you might be before going and finding out if you have cancer or not again. So, well, I think more importantly, you were also super sick for unrelated reasons, which for like felt two cancery yes. for like two months. Yeah. yeah. So I'm finally feeling better, which is nice, which actually you know leads me to the next point, which is that we got to, uh, me and my fiance got to host uh, everybody here for for a July 4th party yesterday. But Which was awesome. We happy had, Independence Day. Happy Independence Day, everybody. But here's Yay. here's the question. Woo. And actually, this actually revolves around the exact thing that we, we just said. Um, and we, my fiance and I are having a debate about this because most people say, and I think it feels right to say, happy 4th or happy 4th of July, right? But I don't actually ever hear anybody say, aside from literally just now, because I think I, because I put the text in here to remember this, uh, <laughs> happy Independence Day. So yeah, do you ever hear so someone long. say that? Like, I or, try to exclusively say Happy Independence Day because Happy Fourth of July means nothing. Like you're saying, it's like saying Happy Fourteenth of September. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like 
True. Or happy 25th of December, you know? I, happy... I wish people did that more, though. Really? You know? Yeah, like if you saw somebody, because that would also, it would but be nice. But isn't that what they mean when they just say, good morning? They're saying, happy X of <laughs> this happy day. Happy this day. Yeah, but if people framed it that way, then it would be much easier to remember what day it is. That's true. Well, yeah, yeah but you're also losing the meaning of the holiday when you say that. True. Well, you're you're losing the reminder as to why the hell you're blowing things up and eating birds. <laughs> birds. Yeah, Which was... I'm still not totally clear on that anyways, but. So this is the only holiday, America. I think, where like July 4th and Independence Day are used really interchangeably. And I wonder mm-hmm. if it's just because those things have become so synonymous. Yeah. That you can just say happy 4th and everyone's like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, we kicked the Brits out, you know, like in right. their brains. <laughs> right. <laughs> their tea and then they, tea. and the brits just kicked themselves out they did brexit of, it. of the eu they're really just wait they're not they didn't actually yet right they just they haven't voted. left yet they haven't left but they've they decided to yeah not, well yet. yeah that's actually what it seems like is happening now because now i guess a whole bunch of a whole bunch of people are who voted to leave are like wait a minute half of england is like i don't want to go on the yeah. car <laughs> Yeah, so they're having some inner inner turbulence. Uh, but so we did learn that uh, the British are just as racist as the Americans. So Turns out, yeah. So after, I don't know, is it a relief? I well, mean, it was in a weird because after the after the Brexit exit, Brexit exit, it's just British that's, exit. That's, <laughs> after that's like Brexit, saying ATM machine. Yeah, after, after the British happened, Brexit exit. Uh, basically, it was like it was a weird thing where all these people who felt emboldened by the fact that the country just voted to leave the EU, who had probably voted for, you know, these reasons of immigration or whatever else. Uh, basically, wasn't there like a huge, a huge spike in hate crimes? There's a bunch of like just outpouring well, of general thing, hatred though. on Twitter and stuff. Like, is crazy. I, I, I seriously doubt it because the fact is that that stuff is just happening constantly all the time. And then news sources, of course, because all they do is is hype stuff. Probably yeah. just, yeah. we're like, look, here's an example of what happens when you have this kind of... Kind of thing. It's it's kind of like uh, everybody thought it was really hilarious when, after the vote, all of a sudden there was a quote unquote spike in searches in Britain for right. what is the EU, right? But it turned out that if you actually, because because Google actually only shows you relative numbers, it turns out if you actually dig in and find the absolute numbers, it was on the order of thousands of searches, which is fucking tiny, right? So if you get right. a spike of a thousand more people searching for a thing, that doesn't tell you anything at all it it's tells a you tiny nothing. blip amongst tinier blips and even if it did it, like unless it was really big you don't know who it is that's making the searches it could be foreigners in britain who are freaked out about like what this means for them hmm. i mean it could be it could be the anybody. queen it could yeah. be the queen searching a thousand times because she's like i'm old and can't remember <laughs> she's been around you've seen those pictures what? of her she's been around since like I don't even know when. There's there's pictures she of her is. with every president of the United States from yeah. now until like the 19, maybe like the 17. I'm pretty sure she was there with George, George Washington. Washington. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah is she's, <laughs> she is advanced in years. Yeah. People often forget that when we are, you know, Independence Day is really our separation from the existing queen of, yeah, she of was today's there. England. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's still upset about it, also, apparently. She looked awful yep. surly in pictures <laughs> yeah. yesterday. Well, aside from doing, uh, you know, happy explosions, 4th of July, Independence. Happy Explosions Day. America uh, tea throwing parties. We are, I actually went to uh, the Olympic trials, which I feel like is also super American. In, what did you In learn? America, at least. Sam, that's super <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it is super everywhere. It's pretty international. But, but let me, let me explain what I mean by that, which is well, that. adversarial. The, the Americans make a big deal about this. Uh, so we went to, as in like, uh, it's a production. So I went to the swimming Olympic trials on Saturday and it's in this huge arena. And of course they have the Olympic pool. I think they managed to get like 40,000 people in there, you know, so they hype this thing up like crazy. And so it's a very high energy event. And then the, one of the funniest things, and it was this like super patriotic moment is that they have these projectors and stuff in this arena that actually project onto the water. Okay, what? so the pool itself, this Olympic pool, basically turns into like a TV screen. That's incredible. <laughs> it's so cool. It's ridiculous. They also have, uh, they have like one of those, you know, usually like the jumbotron sort of, uh, just huge TV set things. It's like a four sided beast um, that hovers above this. The pool wait a minute. Too. What? Hold on. This is a fifty meter pool, right? Yeah. 
that's a that's a how what kind of projector do you need? I you know I have no idea how they did this, but it was it's extremely impressive. Stitched. It's probably several projectors yeah, stitched together. Oh, yep. That's even crazier. Yeah. So, but the best part of this is they they you know the events uh, kind of slowly getting underway, and then it starts at like seven, and all the lights go out in the stadium, and then the like there's a ring light that goes around the whole stadium that like flares on with. American flags and then the like I this is what I mean as far as like it being like such a like such a America sort of moment over here. Um and then they've had this it's like a three minute intro to the the swimming Olympic trials where it's like this real intense music playing. There's American flags like on every surface in this stadium. Like people are covered in them, the pool is covered in them. You know, it's just like it was one of the most patriotic displays I think oh I've probably God. ever seen in my life. <laughs> were there pyrotechnics? Um, there, there were. This is the craziest <laughs> shit. Okay, wait. So when they when they would give out, and this is not during the ceremony, but when they would give out medals, and I still I was looking at this and trying to figure out how the hell this is happening. They had these jets of water that are shooting out from the ground. Like uh, there's four of them, so two on each side of the of the medal winners, and they start off just blowing shooting water up right so they're sort of slowly raising like a constant fountain thing and then the tops of them catch on fire oh my god and there's just there's just fire sitting on top of a jet of water and i'm looking at this and i'm like gasoline then but but how do they get it up there like Like, how do you get because it's just shooting water up you know it's hydrotechnics yeah, I have no idea. Maybe it wasn't actually fire at all. Maybe maybe similar to their projector. Maybe they projected no, 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 fire no, no. on top no, of the water. No, it was definitely fire. Particle like, effects. Yeah, it, it was, was not the same particle effect as water. It was probably a Pokemon that was both fire and water type. Oh, yeah. I was, they just put them the behind the podium. Yeah. I was wondering if there was like an avatar situation going on. Oh, yeah. You get a waterbender, firebender just hanging out back there doing cool stuff. Doing High five moves. Yeah. But yeah, that was super cool. That sounds wow. pretty dramatic. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Who won? Michael Phelps? Uh, yeah. So he was slated Spoiler. to be in like when fifth does he place. Not? Well, he was he was supposed to lose this thing. He was he was put in like fifth place in the hundred meter hundred meter free or uh, fly, and he just crushed everybody. And the best part about it is, so he apparently was a kind of been kind of a sad sack uh, for a good while, and everybody knows he's been in and out of trouble with the law and drugs and stuff. Um, but he Wait, sort of by got drugs, his, he just made marijuana, right? No, 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 he drank a lot and like he got oh, okay. pulled over for DUI where he's going like a oh, hundred. Wow. Yeah, he was so like he was being a real asshat. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah, real asshat and <laughs> endangering himself and others truly. Um, not in the you know uh, propaganda sense. And he went to rehab and then he's got a fiance, he's got a little baby. Um, and apparently he's just like a happy dude now and Good. like sort of got over himself. Yeah, and now he's just destroying everybody and it's hysterical so <laughs> it kind of um, makes sense though i feel like if if you were in that position where basically you have a, like a 15 year career at most and you're like 10 years into it already mm-hmm. you'd be like well uh shit i have no backup plan you know like if you're spent your entire life just going toward that one thing mm-hmm. and it's got a really close expiration date i feel like you'd have a midlife crisis yeah. like in your in your early 20s <laughs> what yeah. else is he gonna do be like a high school swimming coach yeah he's right. gotta learn he's gotta learn an entirely new skill set when he's done being a swimmer and he yeah. still has his whole life ahead of him so well did you i think he's 31 now or something like that um yeah i think so he's 31 and that actually makes him one of the oldest male Olympians, right? Because most Olympians, you don't get out of the age of um, 30 too much. Um, most like of them were only recently potty trained. Yeah, it's, it was so <laughs> weird. We watched we watched some of the some of the trials for the track stuff on ABC. And they're these huge guys who are doing like the shot put stuff. Yeah, right? and they're like five or something. They're like, yeah, the, the, dude is like, the dude is 19. And yeah. he, oh it looks God. like he's like, if I had to guess his mass, it would be like four of myself sort of glommed together it was this one and he had this huge beard and he just looked like a like a barbarian like a 30 year old beast you have to wonder what kind of psychological impacts training like that has on your childhood i mean like has on you as you're training throughout so intensely throughout your childhood i do you you think it like spills over like onto other i feel like i mean it's kind of like the idea of hiring a vet right like they're they're extremely like they're so well 
disciplined or like they their mental structure is so strong do you think it'd be the same for hiring like an olympian you know i wonder i mean because you put so much time and effort and energy into training and it becomes everything that you're living and breathing and like you said it it just it ends at some point it's like modeling or something where you have kind of a hard stop Mm -hmm. on when all of this training no longer is relevant unless you start teaching and so it's you kind of have to wonder and also how how that impacted just their growth in general you know having having so much time being put into training how that actually affects you know your ability to feel like you had a childhood and your your you know social capacity and things like that i'm really curious to hear you know from people who have gone through training like that how that's impacted them you mean more more about like what their just their life is general life is like yeah yeah Yeah. how yeah how it affected them yeah. We only think about how cool it is to be able to like do backflips endlessly. Yeah. Not <laughs> at what cost? Yeah. At I think cost. one of the biggest problems with these kinds of industries where, where you do exactly that, where you have you start really young and have a very short career in that field. Most of those are sort of entertainment driven, you know, either mm-hmm. via sports or, or something else. And if you're not at the very, very top of the of the pack where you get to make millions of dollars and then survive off of that potentially then you're basically struggling to get by the whole time financially and then it just ends yeah if you ain't first you last yeah Yeah. i mean it's like like all these all these uh, people going into like college sports and stuff who for the vast majority of them and i mean it was rare for them to get there in the first place and the vast majority of them have nowhere like they don't get to go beyond that and they put absolutely everything every moment of their lives goes into that thing and then at the end of their college career that's just the end of that thing that they did. Yeah. Yeah. We really hold up the winners like that. But yeah. But really, there's there's a lot more people who lost everything. What well, is interesting for, for every winner? Yeah. I mean, to bring this back to the games thing, we talk about survivorship bias in video games, right? Um, and actually, I mean, interestingly, from that trip I went on with all the cancer survivors too, they, they did talk about it actually with regards to cancer survivors too, because there's always so much focus on the people who basically like crushed it right Mm -hmm. who were just like whatever and just did their thing and not so much obviously on the sadder stories about people who uh didn't and yeah well that's where this sort of romanticized notion of all these things of you know battling crazy odds and horrible adversity and stuff and and there's this sort of romanticism that goes around that because of exactly that where you focus on the people who won right and it's easy just to kind of not really pay attention to the fact that a huge number of people in all these contexts absolutely did not your perspective becomes totally skewed yeah well i mean my mind i know that uh so for me playing super meat boy i think my sophomore year school sophomore year college um and then playing Binding of Isaac shortly after that by Edmund McMillan mm-hmm. was the thing where I was like, oh, I like I could make art like this, right? Which is a joke and a half. But um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize it at the time because I was so ignorant that I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but that was the thing that sort of put me on the path where I was like, oh, I want to do this. But then it only was, I think, you know, another year later or something when I watched that indie game the movie and then I ended up reading a bunch about Ed McMillan and he had made like 50 games before that you know like a bunch of just tons <laughs> tons of flash games like that yeah. was not you know I thought that was like a well and then like even more thing. there were a mountain of literally thousands or even tens of thousands of people who were trying to do similar kind of stuff right with a similar kind of cartoony art style maybe mm-hmm. dark humor or whatever who were doing kind of similar stuff you know different enough that it nobody would call it the same but all those people didn't make it. Yeah. Each one of them maybe only made one game. Maybe they also made 50. Who knows? Uh, but I think Indie Game the Movie did the same disservice because it focused on successful, I mean, hugely successful yeah. indie titles. And it showed the kind of the struggle behind making a successful indie title. But still a successful one. But still yeah, a successful, successful one. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah the, the payoff was fucking enormous for all those guys. Right. They all made infinite money off of their off of their <laughs> creations, and and that's just not the case for almost everybody. And I think just like in sports or or all of these things, when you hold those people up as the model of what you want to become, it's just horribly unrealistic and actually unfair to a lot of people. Because if you don't understand actually what the risks are and what what's required to get there, you become another one of those people who kind of just end up getting crushed along the way because yeah. you'll spend mm-hmm. years and years grinding away, and and in the end just don't have something to show for it but, but we found this one oh sorry good oh, i was just gonna say but here's the thing no one wants to pay money to watch a documentary about people who work their asses <laughs> off and then <laughs> fail miserably at the end oh, because be so that's sad. what the majority of stories are is people working really really hard 
and then seeing if if even any success, modest success at best. Well, I've been I've been thinking about this a bit because like the I think the idea of survivorship bias is is really it's really interesting because to me it's it's actually just the fact that humans like good stories. It's more like a good story bias, right? Where good stories have a particular structure to them and they have a particular ending. You know, um, it's not like a Game of Thrones situation where your favorite character just dies, like no matter what. You know, um, it's supposed to be the sort of situation. <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Everybody dies. Uh, <laughs> but it's supposed to be the sort of situation where, where, um, as far as like, you know, like a good narrative is concerned, where there's a huge, like usually there's a, a bunch of work put in or whatever else. There's some overcoming of a problem. And then there's a, ch- a change of state, you know, at the end. And, I, you know, a good one, even if the cost was high. You know, it was now all you can, worth the struggle. Exactly. The end. And the thing is, like, I, I wonder if it's it's not even just like survivorship bias, if it's just the fact that humans love stories. And from a narrative perspective, it literally is a better story mm-hmm. as far as stories are concerned to hear about that arc than it is to hear about the tragedy. Right. The mm-hmm. hard ones. It wasn't, it's not like Shakespeare. But there's a there's another d- dimension to this problem, though, which is sort of gets lost in all this, which is uh, you had mentioned that, you know, Ed McMillan had made 50 plus whatever published games online before that. Right. And you if you wanted to, you could think about each of those games as being a failed game. Right. Mm-hmm. Because none of them took off. Yeah, you don't uh, so, now because he now has infinite money. And so you see them as as his successful massive portfolio. Right. And, and I think it's and I think it's important to realize that, like, sure, maybe for every Ed McMillan who makes a Super Meat Boy, there's 500,000 randos who tried to make a game as well and didn't succeed. But they that doesn't try mean, to make one game. probably. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, like, just because that game didn't go anywhere that you can't get there eventually. Right. Um, You're You're taking the long view. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the the philosophy that we've always tried to push out there into the universe that things usually don't work out, and that's where persistence comes in. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep pushing through it. Yeah, so. you see so many people just looking at the Super Meat Boy, assuming that that was his first game, and they quit their jobs and abandon all of their responsibilities in favor of just making their first single game that they've, you know, they have no experience before that. And then they're like, what? Why didn't I, why didn't I make any money? Why didn't it sell any copies? It's, you know, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean like, but it's a common mistake because of that perception that so many of us have. And it's, um, I mean, that's, kind of what makes it forgivable but at the same time you know you kind of wish that it wasn't so pervasive of a mentality of like yeah i can i can live the american dream and abandon you know all of my backup plans in favor of my one my first game idea i mean it's it's worked you know in the past on occasion for certain people but it's it's so rare Yep, more like um, winning the lottery than it is like anything else. At that, at that point, yes, yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of improbable and ridiculous game things, what? Uh, we're adding controller support to Crash. <laughs> <Lake>. <laughs> that was a great segue, Seth. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that we've been saying forever that we just don't really want to do and have no plans in doing. But guess what? We're doing it. So deal with it. Um, I don't know. What do you guys? Do you guys? What do you want to talk about with regard to controller support? <laughs> well, but I'm. I'm a console player, and so the the controller support has been really exciting for me, especially because all I want to do is sit on my couch and play Crashlands with a controller. Soon. So it's okay. So my big hesitation for hooking up doing controller support. Well, there was two things. Wait, one can we, is can we just address how huge this hesitation was real quick? Because this is one of, this is one of <laughs> it the was about six things. months long. Seth's been been like, oh god, I don't want to do this controller support thing. <laughs> for for so long and then it's been like three days what four days of working on it full time and it's like it's been no it's, it's amazing. been uh it's been 20 so it, it's about i'm about 27 hours in and i would say i'm about a quarter done right which so, so we're like we're talking like four days right but originally seth was projecting this out and he was like oh this is gonna take like a couple months it's gonna be not done until august like late august or you right know, who knows well what. But, but bearing in mind that that would be true given our prior studio circumstances which was where i had about one hour a day to right. work on when you wouldn't be able crash to land. work on it sure yeah and the rest of the time was on administrative stuff while we were trying to reorganize the mm-hmm. studio now that i can actually work on it all day 
Um, it's moving along very well, but the that means you need to get it done this week because next week you got to start training our final employee. Yeah. yeah, so that's I'll have to do that. Um, also, this is a shortened week, so yeah, it's going to be even tougher. But yeah, the tricky thing with the controller support is I think there's two aspects to it. One is you know it's meant to be a, t- a touch game or like a click game, sort of like Diablo or whatever. And all of the it's not the gameplay necessarily that's that's challenging for controller support. It's all the UIs. Mm-hmm. Because every UI is configured a little bit differently based on the purpose of that UI. So like build mode and looking at your quests in the compendium and um, even Bscotch ID, like logging in with Bscotch ID. You can't do that with a controller yet, right? So all this Mm -hmm. stuff is really, really involved. And actually the core gameplay is done. You can now run around in the world and play the game with a controller and everything. Is all the combat sorted up? The combat is is taken care of. Um, it feels pretty dang good. Yeah, and I, it feels the, great. And, yeah, and the other thing, and that's that's the other sort of dimension to it, which is uh, I would never want to do this if we couldn't get it to feel like it was meant to be played with a controller. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it should feel like that's the way it should be. And it does feel really good, I'll be honest. It does. I was shocked, actually, about how it just feels nice. Yeah. It feels like a totally different game. Yeah. yeah. It makes me want to just buy a Steam Link so that I can just play it <laughs> right. on my TV. Now, sh- should we talk about the the other thing with controllers that we've been debating? Uh, the- oh, no, not yet. We'll keep that. <laughs> Keep, I mean, we can we can yeah, preface we'll it. Vague. Keep we can sh- preface it with a, a, a like a huge, you know, this is probably not going to happen thing. I, I think just just wait. Let's drop that bomb when we can. Yeah, I would say yeah. Save thing. that until it actually is going to happen. All right, I'll because, just put a hint out there. Something. Yeah. <laughs> something. Something maybe <laughs> related to controller support or maybe other things. Speculate away. Yeah. But hey, Kara, what have you been working on? Yeah, to segue, <laughs> something that is happening is my <laughs> nice the <first> segue. Thing, <laughs> I'm so good at segues. Uh, so one thing that is absolutely happening is I'm working on redesigning the Butterscotch Shenanigans.com website. Okay. And it's been great. It's it's really been amazing because first of all, when I came into the studio, I just kind of fit in immediately and it yes. really didn't take very long at all for me to feel like, oh, yeah, this is my job, even though we still don't really know what my job entirely is composed of. I was like, yeah, this is my job. This is my job now. It's just doing well, this stuff. I would say <laughs> your job your job has a has a clear intent. A clear intent, the, yeah. But like what the actual sort of individual elements of it are. That's kind of up to you. Yeah, like right? the day to day stuff we're still kind of figuring out. And so the first thing like I come from a heavy web development background. And so the first thing, you know, that I saw on the we'd like to do this list was website. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I know how to do that. And so I just kind of dove in and started making some really rad designs. And we've got some really good ideas. And I get to start development next week or this week. This week. week. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. (laughs) I get to start development tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But what will happen with that thing is we're actually going to try to shift all the stuff to bscotch.net mm-hmm. instead of the untypable butterscotch-shenanigans.com. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, the site's looking it's really cool. Move. Carol's trying to get all the stuff that we have horribly scattered across the internet into <laughs> one more coherent place. So it's going to be, it's going to be real cool. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you who, you know, who maybe used to come to our website uh, fairly often, but have stopped because we've stopped putting so much content on it. Uh, we're trying to address the problem of our our website is primarily a blog, right? Like it's in blog form. And that means that anytime we post information, it buries all the previous information, which that's kind of the main problem that Carol's trying to address. That way we actually have more of incentive on our end to put cool stuff on there. Yep. Because it won't get buried. Yeah, I mean, it literally has been the case that we would one week be like, oh, we need to put a, we, need, we should put something out and be like, oh, but we have to put up the thing about our podcast episode on Wednesday We'll probably want to have that sit there for a few days. That means we can't post a thing until Friday. But then some other thing, you know, it just became this stupid discourse about trying to figure out when we were allowed to post things instead of just being able to do it whenever we wanted to. Now we're just going to post stuff. And we're also coming up with all kinds of cool ideas about Easter eggs. Yeah. And weird, weird stuff to pepper the website with. So if anybody has ideas, uh, you know, shoot us a shoot us a note. But Otherwise, just enjoy clicking around on the website and trying to figure out what what all we put in there in order to surprise and delight you. <laughs> now, by Easter, I assume you mean that one Sunday in April. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there'll April. be literal Happy Easter April. eggs just <laughs> laying around the website. 
Yeah. So you yeah. find them, you get a prize. Taking a lot of inspiration from Stardew Valley on that one. Yes. Are there, are there actual <laughs> Easter eggs in it? Well, there's an Easter festival. Where oh, yeah. I remember I played that and I was like, I'm crushing everybody. And then I got I second place behind a child. What? what? You lost? I lost to the child. <laughs> child, Sam. The Sam AI kids. child destroyed me. I was going to say, to be fair, every year to maximize their egg picking yeah, up like my, my legs are so much longer. My yeah, it was a robot. High. Yeah, that's true. a robot child. Yeah, I robot crushed child. that Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Man, I got crushed I by it. <laughs> I haven't played Stardew Valley yet, but I plan to. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up? It's question time. It is. It's question time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take some questions. These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. They are asked by uh, members of the Butterscotch Shenanigans community. And as randos. well as just anonymous randos. <laughs> so take it away, Sam. Let's All get right. some questions. So first question comes from Alan MB. And I'm going to generalize short for it. for medical boctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a degree. Don't mess with him. He's got, he's a, got a degree. Bu- he's got he, a big degree. He's got a degree in medicine. Um, the question is, <clears throat> I've got an older bro by six years, so there's always been a feeling of competition. Which, by the way, like a six-year gap, I feel like, in siblinghood, which is what we're going to dive into here, that's, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. You know? That's like three developmental stages when you're young. Um, so the question is, do any of you ever get that competitive spirit, feeling like you need to push yourself to be better than your siblings? Uh, and do you have any specific stories about it? Hmm. Uh, Sam, mm. you can probably, of, of the three of us bros, you could probably answer this the most. I probably can. I'm going to answer it better than you ever could. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I'm three years behind, well, three, three slash four years behind um, Adam and Seth, and that's been interesting because it's, like, it's one full sort of developmental stage behind when you're mm-hmm. growing up. Right. So school wise. Yeah. And so when we, when they were, you know, when they were 10, I was six or seven and the like the size difference, you know, between a six year old and a 10 year old is huge. And then it gets even worse when someone's like 10 and someone else is 14. Right. So you're always 14 and 18 even. Yeah. So you're always, (laughs) you're always behind enough like that. A four year gap seems like it's just, it's one full like development period, you know? And it's enough that I think, so I always, there's, there's two things that came out of the fact that Adam and Seth were older than me. One is that, so we used to, I used to get beaten up frequently because, (laughs) and I think I, I will say, I think justly because I was kind of a douchebag. When it wasn't child. like, and it also wasn't horribly beaten up or anything. It wasn't no, no, no. like, it was just like, it wasn't like, yo, pound town. It yeah. was like the occasional smack. Yeah. It was, I didn't, I didn't get any like bloodied eyes or like it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't brutal stuff. It was just like, I'd be being an ass face about something. And then Adam would just punch me with force in the chest and I'd go flying across the room and be like, like okay. in the Avengers yeah. or, or the Matrix. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> Uh, so that, that was that was good in a, in a in a lot of ways because it sort of uh, like you know our parents didn't hit us so my, <laughs> but my brothers did so, so that was had nice. to. Somebody somebody had to. Had to. <laughs> I mean I feel like you know for some kids like if you're just being a little shit like having having your brother because it's like it's not a parent and I just think it's important like but having your brother just like just punch you super hard and not in a way that like causes any bruising or damage but just like just the wind completely yeah it's just, just shocking you know yeah. it's just shocking and so that was good for me um it's I like in tv that. shows when someone just like can't stop like freaking out and then somebody slaps him in the face and they're like yeah they're like <laughs> okay they're like cool thank you for that hard reset um <laughs> but yeah so so i appreciated that uh element of it and to be clear, we're not do. advocating punching your siblings yeah, maybe I well, but so as a disclaimer, you shouldn't listen to us when we advocate for punching <laughs> your siblings. Anything. Anything, really. Um yeah. but yeah, so the other thing that that gave me though is that um and this is something that that I've that I think is like a core part of who I am now, is that having to be around um two people who were much larger than me and felt free to punch me for reasons, um, made it so that I had to pay very close attention to their emotional states. To make sure that I was, you know, doing the right thing so that I wouldn't be, uh, you know, I wouldn't fall into some trap where I would get punched or something like that. And so as a result, like, I feel like my people, my people skills are really, really good. I think primarily because I had to dodge these giants and parlay with their (laughs) crazed teenage emotional states. Well, it was even worse because I was an early puber. 
And Sam was Adam, <laughs> Sam was a late puber. Adam, Adam was huge. Yeah, Adam. Yeah. I think I was I was ninety pounds coming into high school, and Adam I was one hundred and fifty already. Oh my God. Yeah, and actually, and actually, weirdly, I haven't grown since like ninth grade, basically. <laughs> so I, I developed. Uh, it's like I was, I was definitely a, a dick towards Sam. I think until that point at which Adam suddenly was a monster to me, and then I was a monster to Sam, and then it gave me some perspective about you know having a hormonal raging giant. <laughs> stampeding around the house <laughs> smashing everybody yes if only we all could experience it I'd be so lucky um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah so so i went through through those things which i think is good and i think the, the one thing that that kind of pushed me personally to try to do better than than adam and seth did was was weirdly like they actually helped a lot so one day adam came home from he's taking calc at the college level in high school so i was in i think seventh grade maybe and adam i think you're in 11th grade or something like that and yep. Adam came home and he was like, hey, Sam, I'm going to teach you some calculus. And I was like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and he was like, sit the fuck down. You're going to learn some calculus. And so he just, or you're going to get punched. <laughs> <laughs> so he just, he just taught, forcibly taught me some calculus uh, at the dinner table in seventh grade. And I was like, and I was like, this is pretty cool, actually. And then once I started enjoying it, of course, he left because that's what you do um, as an older sibling. <laughs> He's like, well, this is no fun anymore because I'm not torturing you. And... <laughs> And that like that helped a lot. And so I think it was weird because actually just being around them, uh, the fact that they were bigger and more mature and just smarter constantly <laughs> sort of made it so that I had to try to be more like that in order mm -hmm. to not, you know, well, get beaten in a lot of ways, but also just uh, to sort of fit with them as a trio. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think I ever had any competitive, if that makes sense. There was no like competitive element. It was more just like I wanted to blend in more so, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. That yeah, I can feel that as the youngest of three also. Uh, my my siblings were three years and six years ahead of me. And yeah, it was I, I wound up my my resulting personality is sort of a blend between the two of them based on like observation and, you know, having to, like you said, kind of kind of gauge their mm -hmm. emotional states and gauge their, you know, their intellectual uh, kind of uh, fortes mm -hmm. and kind of feed off of that and then kind of take that on on my own. It's really, really interesting. And it it means that I get along with both of them better than they get along with each other, I think, because I have <laughs> taken on elements of both of them throughout aging. And I think there was some levels of competition, but they were so much older than me that it was more just trying to um trying to prove that i was worth hanging out with right oh yeah i feel um, that yeah yeah i guess for yeah. me as the oldest sibling uh, i never felt competition because i was always so busy like doing the next because i was always so much better than everybody <laughs> i know it's by the by the time you guys were doing something that i had done i'd already been doing it for a while right and mm -hmm. because of the way that education is structured you just do a thing for a year maximum right so by the time like i did a thing and finished it, that's when one of the two of you maybe were getting started with that thing. And that was true almost throughout, right? And, and But we also chose a lot of different stuff going through. So there was never a moment where I had to do something that one of you had already done and, and done well because right. I just had already done it. And whether it was good or not was irrelevant because it was done in my past now and I was on to the next thing. And so, so I never... You were setting the bar. Yeah. Basically, yep. I just went through and I was doing bar setting, basically, <laughs> uh, and path blazing, right? And, uh, and I was, my, my preoccupation was, you know, like going to college, going to high school, all those, all those big steps. I don't, I didn't have anybody to watch go through that first. And so I just had to like be nervous about that thing and then go do it and hope for the best. And, uh, and that was it. So there was no, so competition was never a thing I had to worry about. For me, it was always like, how the fuck do I do the next thing? Right. Mm -hmm. Cause there was the only people Nobody around me there. doing it were my friends doing it at the same time. Right. From from an outside perspective, I can comment on your brotherly collaboration as opposed to competition. Even just playing Rocket League with the three of you guys is really interesting in that there's while there's, you know, the the standard kind of air of competition of gameplay, there's not there there doesn't feel like there's this unnecessary sibling rivalry whenever we're playing, which I think is really interesting because I get super intense when I play games, especially when I play games with my siblings. But you guys just <laughs> kind of you just you just play and you know you acknowledge each other's, you know, skills and, you know, maybe 
downfalls. <laughs> okay, well, we laugh at each other's fuck ups, but in not like not in a mean way. You know? yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's it's really it's really heartening. You know, it's a really really cool thing to see because I think you have a really unique sibling relationship and that you do get along really well. But now. I think a lot of this comes from building the studio together. That could very well because... be because well, we but we wouldn't have been able to do that had this foundation yeah. true yeah I mean, I mean the foundation is there but but i think it's it's something that we've we've all worked on really hard throughout the the development of the studio because you know we work with each other full time um and and even when we're not we're interacting a lot i mean we're, we mm-hmm. are the main people we interact with period and uh and we we had to just get be very attentive about that kind of stuff i think the biggest thing though is just that the framing we took on the problem was that this is a 100 percent collaborative problem like competition didn't have a place in it It didn't even make sense as a as a thing well comp- competition is about is not just about winning it's, but it's about the other loses. person losing yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah which that doesn't work if you're trying to work as a team right. to do something right yeah exactly. here's my question because so so all of us then so adam was the first one you know first born so he got to go blaze some trails and carol and i both are in the same place where we were at least one full basic development cycle behind everybody. Mm-hmm. But Seth, you're a year behind Adam. Yeah. So I wouldn't hear about that because yeah. you're not, you're not far enough away where you can be like, well, I'm just not, you know, I'm just not developed enough. He's well, it, no, I, it put me into a couple interesting situations. Um, I think it was that like, I was close enough to Adam that I could sort of intellectually do the same stuff that he was doing, but there was also a, a long period of time where he was just really really big (laughs) he was a monster Uh, this is true yeah i never had a growth spurt or anything like that i just i just grew a a steady you just steadily grew i grew two inches per year sam and i both had 10 years but they were like eight years apart nearly yeah so like coming into high school i was 90 pounds and coming out of high school i was 160 pounds but there was no spike like it was just, <laughs> I just became slowly larger. Um, so there was that kind of point where like I, I played football and stuff to kind of emulate what Adam was doing. Um, but there was kind of a breaking point where I signed up for swimming, where physical sort of like, uh, what, what would you call it? Like you just your, just your massiveness, size, yeah. your mass doesn't help you really in swimming. Uh, it's a lot of technique and stuff. And I, I signed up for the swim team my freshman year. And all of a sudden there was a thing that I could do really well that Adam just was kind of bad at, right? <laughs> kind of bad. I was terrible. And, and Adam signed up for the swim team as well uh, because I, we had one car between the two of us. Ford Ranger. And we had a, we had a, Ford, a 98 Ford Ranger pickup truck. Which I, between, de- I destroyed shortly after they left Oh, no. <laughs> and Sam, Sam crushed it. Uh, literally yeah. crushed, <laughs> literally the truck. crushed the truck. But uh, swimming was at six o'clock in the morning in the dead of winter through the, the cold winter months. Ah, the and best time to be wet. Oh, my yeah. God. And yes. so so we had to get up at about 515 in the morning, go swim for 3000 yards. And then at seven o'clock, we'd be done and then go to school. And Adam didn't want to ride the bus. So. <laughs> So he signed up for swimming and put himself through all this so that he wouldn't have to be that, you know, that sophomore who was riding the bus. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really important so with all with all the little kids. Right. <laughs> and so he signed up for swimming, but he didn't really want to do it. And I think just like that was a kind of a liberating moment for me of doing this thing that I was that, that nobody else before me had decided to do. And that I was good at and that also I somehow managed to set the terms of like who gets the car, who gets the train. Like all of a sudden I was in charge of that entire season, you know, and Adam just had to follow along. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I don't know. It uh, it never really felt competitive for me, but there was definitely a moment at which I realized that I could just decide to do stuff that hadn't been sort of trailblazed ahead. You were an independent man and you didn't need no older brother. That's right. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's interesting. There's an interesting piece of psych too that I just want to drop in here, which is this concept of sibling differentiation, which is basically just the idea that as siblings, you understand intuitively that parents can only love the person who's best at a thing, and so you actually have to. And this is, this is totally true. If you look at twins, like identical twins, for example, um, is one of the most fun ones because, of course, they're the same um, for the most part. But they oftentimes will end up having completely different interests from one another. Um, and this is driven largely by this concept of sibling differentiation, which is saying, essentially saying 
in order for me to have you know value to my parents and my family, I need to not be potentially in second place with regards to inactivity. So you take an explains, orthogonal path. Yeah, which also explains, Seth, why you suddenly felt like freaking awesome when you when you got to choose to do swimming, which Adam had never even touched before. Um, and then, of course, the fact that you crushed him at it was bonus material. It was just a little cherry on top. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I was far enough behind you guys that it didn't quite matter so much as far as like what I chose to do, because people kind of like, it was like three or four years, you know. It's long enough that they remembered you guys, but it wasn't so close that they were like oh you gotta be just like you just gotta be just like seth he was so good at drawing you know in school you better better get on that no one ever said yeah. that shit well people me. would they wouldn't they wouldn't phrase it that way but there would be an expectation oh yeah right that like i don't know i don't know if carol you had the same kind of experience where like your siblings went ahead of you and if you had the same teacher as them mm-hmm. or something then they would kind of anticipate that you would be Similar, as good yeah. or similar, you know, with your interests and skills and everything. Yeah, we were far enough apart that that didn't happen often. But when it did, usually with gym teachers, like I was miserable at athletics and my sister was pretty good. And so oh, the gym no, teachers no. were always especially <laughs> disappointed that I couldn't get the ball inside the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, what is the deal with with uh, with gym class teaching you how to do all these team sports? Like, shouldn't shouldn't it be the goal be to sort of like teach you how to be a a healthy, fit person? No, they try to mix it in. I mean, like, because there's that collaboration, like team building, you know, teaching you how to collaborate with your fellow students, but also teaching you how to live a healthy lifestyle. But I don't think it really worked very well. (laughs) Yeah, for us, it was almost entirely like this is our volleyball segment and we're just going to play volleyball for like six months I got I got to be in volleyball because I what? couldn't I couldn't direct where to put the ball on the other side of the net when I served. Sam, you also got a D in jogging. Yeah, because because, <laughs> because I was and this is this is completely true because I was in swimming at the time. My resting heart rate, which has always been low, was 40 beats a minute. He and was basically a turtle. I was basically a turtle. <laughs> and we had to wear these like these really weird contraptions. It was kind of like a just like a plastic uh, bra strap essentially that went around your whole body and it was a heart rate monitor and you had, so they, they wanted to do this basically, you know, quantitatively and you had to get, you had to get in your quote unquote heart rate zone, which was the same for everybody. They just prescribed to everybody's heart rate zone. It was like, you gotta be heart rate at 170. It was, it was 120 to 180 was the zone, which of course, if your resting heart rate is 40, you gotta triple it. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to just sprint in circles for 40 minutes in order to hit my, you know, 20 minutes in my zone or whatever. And yeah, I was getting a D in this class and I went up oh to God. the to the teacher and I was like, hey, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like I, but you, you've seen me sprinting in circles and I'm getting a D and that guy's like walking and he's crushing it, you know? <laughs> and like, what, can you, can you not do this? And he's like, what? He's like, you're, it's cause you're not doing the circuit. You need to do the circuit. Gotta do, go do your pushups. What? And I was like, when I do push-ups, my heart rate goes down. I don't know if you understand. <laughs> down from where it is when you're sprinting. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, no, it doesn't. And I was like, yes, it does. And I have the fucking data now sitting on my body to show you. And so I went and did some sit-ups, came back, and my resting heart rate, my heart is at like 60. And he was like, oh. And I don't I understand this. It was amazing. It's it's what's amazing to me is that they were grading you on individual sports and your ability to do those things. Like, yeah. I feel like I was always graded on just effort and participation for that sort of thing because everybody has different abilities and different body types, and you know, nah, gym seems, class was it was weirdly tyrannical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that seems yeah. really unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. as far as psychologically for the students, it's probably what drove my hate for all sports. Yeah. Well, likewise, (laughs) I remember I was, I was doing, we were doing like a basketball thing once and it was like, I was, I was a short kid. I was a really, really small person. And so when it was my turn, I was already panicking and they made you shoot hoops until you got one. And so you had to be the only person in front of the entire class shooting hoops until you got one. And I was doing it forever. I was, I'd probably shot 20 or 30 times and I just started crying in the middle oh. of the basketball court. Because that sounds I like just, my style as I, well. Yeah. Basketball. Like I was getting worse and worse because I was getting more and more just like worked up and felt like I'm on the spot. There's no way that I can do this. I haven't had the training or experience to do this. Everybody is watching me fail and there's no way out of it. And so I just broke down. And that was just one of the most traumatic moments. That was when I was like, I'm never trying sports. 
sports. That was probably this a is fair ruined response. Sports. Yeah, when I, was, uh, uh, when, I, when I was in football, <laughs> which I did because all my friends were doing it, and it, you weren't cool unless you were in football, so I had to. Well, of course. Because high school. So, you had to. Uh, but, I, I mean, I hated it every moment of the way and most of it was because I, I didn't care about sports anyway like i didn't care about competing with people and so i couldn't get like the anger drive you need to crush human skulls as a football player and all that stuff <laughs> so i just like kind of played and, and when i first started i was one of the biggest people and so it just like it was easy i just kind of had to stand around and it was fine but then i became one of the smallest because everybody else started to actually grow and uh and so it became like increasingly horrible but it was it kind of culminated in uh this problem which was my my eyeballs didn't look straight right but it was kind of a subtle thing so it was basically anytime uh i wasn't really paying attention or drifting off or something my left eye would kind of just drift in and i would be cross-eyed and as a consequence i had horrible horrible depth perception uh and i couldn't (laughs) catch balls because that requires pretty good depth perception and then hand-eye coordination afterwards so so i always did stuff in football that didn't require doing ball stuff uh so you were a lineman. So I was always a lineman. And so I was, so this kind of all came to head because in football, it's a, it's a group punishment activity, right? So anytime one individual fucks up, everybody on the team is punished. So that's kind of the, the, the system that we, that we were mm-hmm. in. So for us, we would do all the, and it was a drill, drill, drill all day, every day. And anytime somebody fucked up a drill, everybody had to do push-ups or sit-ups or something. And so for me, there was, there was this particular drill we had to do that required basically kind of doing this like zigzaggy run thing and catching a ball um, as you were doing it. And regardless of whether you ever would need to catch a yeah. ball. In and the, so in the without fail, I didn't catch the ball every time that we did this thing. And, and they started, they implemented this new punishment system where every uh, person in a row who missed would double the number of pushups that had to be done. Oh God. Oh God. And like, I, so I was on the, do I was they on not the tail. understand how compound interest yeah. works? So I was on the <laughs> tail end of this thing. And of course, and when I came up, everybody knew oh, I was no. going to miss. Because I always did. Oh, no. And I always had to do it anyway. And so there's just this collective groan as I go up to do it. And I'm like, well, this is just how, how my life is right now. You know? <laughs> and, and that was basically my football experience for. I, I ended up quitting midseason my mm. junior year because that was just, it was just enough at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. And you were a hardcore swimmer at that point. I was, I was a so hardcore bad swimmer. At that point, I think my, my horror story is basically the same as Carol's, but with something that actually required way less skill. <laughs> which was the act of skipping is Aww. what we were learning how to do. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it figured out. <laughs> this is in third grade. Oh no. <laughs> I could not, how, I could how not leg figure work? it out. Cause like, it's a weird two leg work. Skipping is actually a really weird leg thing. It is, like, it's true. It's super weird. It's not, it's not walking. It's not running. It's like a sort of weird jostling. It's, a, it's, it's like, kind of a dance. It's a it's run kind of dance. Alternating, yeah. alternating double hops. It's a yeah. run dance. And, I, everybody was, we were all skipping and you're like, you'd skip from this line to this other line in the back again. And I was clearly just like, kind of just flopping around, <laughs> locomoting in a really weird way. And the teacher <laughs> saw this and so stopped the entire class. It's like 40 kids. Oh grade, no. Cause it's like, you could handle that many young kids, you know? And everybody, so everybody's lined up and then she takes me out and makes me hold her hand <laughs> and skip with her back and forth, which I can't do. It's not like I need to practice the act more. I don't understand how to skip yet. <laughs> so, so she's holding my hand while I just sort of like flop around like some weird, you know, broken legged deer on her side. And she's just like dragging me around and did this for like 10 minutes while everyone else. And these are third graders. Like no one's interested in, you know, they don't have the attention span for that sort of weight. So I'm just being completely tortured by this i never i never heard this story (laughs) i hated that teacher so much (laughs) i I didn't understand i was like how could you not see that this is the worst way to solve this learning challenge that i have like (laughs) let's put you in front of all your friends and make you hold my hand it should have just been like a see me after class yeah (laughs) and then we're gonna skip together we're gonna skip let's go skip yeah (laughs) (laughs) that would have been nice but it didn't happen it's amazing how right. much specific teachers can just kind of like fuck your path, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I think we all probably got plenty more stories about that. But, but yeah. some other time. Let's move. And not to so, not teachers, because, of course, some of them put you on a really good path. So just to, oh, yeah. just yes. to be clear. It's the same yeah. thing with, with any human. They're great and terrible at the same time. Yep. yep. Should we try right, to so blow through some of these questions? Because we're... Yeah. 
Next question comes from Pixlin Bracket, who asks, can we hear some about the new studio space? It's cool. It's great. Oh, cool. <laughs> also yeah, great. So the, the studio space is my basement. Uh, my wife and I just moved to our first uh, house, and we specifically tried to find a house that had enough room in the basement that we could turn it into Butterscotch HQ uh, because we don't want to uh, have to go get it, you know, get a company office and, and do all that stuff. It, we still want to kind of keep it as small as possible, right? So, so we just uh, painted the basement to be Butterscotch colors. So we have the kind of fuchsia and, and yellowish gold colors on the wall. We have uh, a stenciled Butterscotch Shenanigans sort of company logo going up the side of the stairs, think, which is super cool. I think Carol sent a picture of that, right? On Twitter? Yeah, yeah you can see that on Instagram. Or Instagram. Or Instagram. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Instagram.com slash Butterscotch.Shenanigans. Yes, Or Twitter, whatever the fuck, slash Bscotch Shenanigans. <laughs> I think you were looking for dot com. com. I think is there, like, what, is there like a slash user in there or something? Or what are they? Nope. Okay. Nope. nope. Then that is exactly what I was looking for. Twitter, whatever the fuck. The part that I'm the most excited about, but also the most worried about, is uh, I'm I'm. We're all very accustomed to having whiteboard walls, and in the past we've just used adhesive whiteboard sticker things that you can just stick onto the wall and then you can write on it. Um, but when I had the painter down here working on stuff, I made this comment. I was like, when can I stick the adhesive onto the the paint? Right and. Or like, how long do I have to wait for it to dry? And he goes, you know, I bet I could get some of that whiteboard paint. And so we sort of crunched out the numbers on it. And it turns out that in terms of square footage, the paint is substantially cheaper than the adhesives. Which and is surprising. You, yeah. So I'm like, oh, OK. So for the same price, we could basically cover the whole office in whiteboard uh, instead of just two sections of the wall. Right. So so he went through and painted it and it looks amazing. But my work, so like you have to do a coat of white and then a coat of this sort of clear dry erase goo substance. <laughs> uh, and then you got to do a second coat of that. But my worry is that because it's clear, the dry erase stuff is clear, that it's really hard to tell where you have applied it. Mm. You have to kind of like look around and try to look for the shine of the wall, you know. And if there's a spot that's missed, we're going to be writing on this wall. And then all of a sudden, it's just going to be like marker on paint. <laughs> just boom. And then that's not coming off. So yeah. uh, I, we get to we get to try it out for the first time tomorrow. tomorrow. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has to dry for a week. And I'm kind of you know, scared, nervous. I'm nervous about it. But got some jitters. Not I mean, as I, nervous as that gnat that got stuck no, in it. A gnat died <laughs> in our whiteboard. He died so that we can live. It so was just can, like Jurassic Park. He just got yeah. embedded into the goop. Well, it was like Jurassic Park until Carol scraped it off and then its <laughs> legs were remaining. Inside. I thought he maybe was still alive. I was like, come on, little buddy. And then he just, his torso I'm... just fell off. <laughs> now, and he his was legs dead. were embedded in the enamel goop, whatever it is. Come on, little so, buddy guy. <laughs> I felt so bad. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, and it's also, I think, I don't know if you guys want to comment on so this is the first time that we've actually had a dedicated space like this. Um, we've been kind of Adam was remote in Texas. Uh, Sam and I were in our apartments. Carol has has worked in a dedicated office space in mm -hmm. the past, um, but we have not. And it's definitely got an interesting uh, sort of it changes the way we work. Mm -hmm. I don't I really work at home anymore, which is. Yeah, there's such weird. a clearer delineation between, you know, when you're at work and when you're not at work. That's great. Right? It's probably healthier. I yep. would wager. Probably. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been good, though. Uh, next question, and then we'll do these kind of rapid fire. We'll get a few of them out of the way. Uh, Tofos asks slash says Crashlands is was on sale, which the sale finished yesterday. Uh, how did that happen? Can we which is an interesting phrase. say anything about how it happened? We're no, in the summer sale. I mean. Yeah, I think all we, all we can say is just we intended to put it on sale. Um at some point, and just because the summer sale came up, we decided to jump on the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's so, how that happened. Logged yeah. into Steam and we told it to discount the game. Do the thing. Yeah. Although interestingly, you know, we so we put it on sale for twenty percent. Our original plan was was maybe ten percent, but we kind of decided that that was Lame. not really a, not really a sale. <laughs> um, 
but I don't think we ever really plan on making it bigger than, say, like a 33% sale. Mm-hmm. That is still uh, the plan. But, you know, who knows that's, what's going to happen in the future. That's the current plan. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Some Something about – there's something feels weird and wrong maybe about buying a game that, you know, if you're – like let's say you buy some AAA title or something that took a team of – 500 people five years to make and then you just wait long enough and you buy it for a dollar yeah it just feels weird yeah it doesn't seem like, like that it's should just be too allowed. it's too low so which isn't to say that's what crash lens is no because that was a team of <laughs> two and a half people for two years yeah but still I'm a half person in this on. context just to be clear. <laughs> come on but a wee babe um <laughs> all right uh next question which is, is a super easy softball for you guys uh comes from alan falcon to what extent do we possess free will we don't have time to discuss this, probably, so I'm going to go with 0%. Whoa, yeah, okay. it depends on if we're in just like a virtual reality of someone else and also whether or not we actually exist within um, like the dimension multiplicity thing that Stephen Hawking talks also about. Also true. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's a great point. That's a great point, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I want to amend also my 0% to, and to also add that, yes, it is 0%. We don't actually have free will. But on the other hand, it seems like we do, so who gives a fuck? Yep. I like that. That's nice. Uh, I'm going to go with we do sometimes, but not most of the time. Not when other people influence us. Which is all the time. Which is all the time. So, yeah, that's that's my vote. You know, like when you're when you're not in the middle of an activity, I feel like you could be like, I'm going to go plan about this or I'm going to change the way I do stuff or whatever else. But if you're just doing the thing, you know, if you're just caught up in your habits or whatever. You're kind of just doing Well, I think things. the, the, the Ooh, thing yeah. about free comes, will is as yeah. you try to define it, no matter what definition you come up with, it either becomes meaningless as a concept or something you definitely don't have. So you're saying the question in and of itself is effectively meaningless. Is makes what the even answer, is free will? Forces the answer mm-hmm. to be false. Well, it's just like, it's a thing that, again, like kind of like naively and uh, and romantically, we want to believe that we are in full control of everything we do. But the thing is... That doesn't mean anything. It just literally Really, we're just nothing. in a really advanced computer simulation. But even if we weren't, yeah. though, it still wouldn't mean anything. <laughs> well, yeah, but you have to operate. You operate in a system Yeah, you don't operate rules. in a vacuum. If you operated in a vacuum, you'd be dead. So but for you example, would have free will before you died. For example, you cannot choose to ignore gravity. Correct. You, there, are, there are constraints upon you that you simply have that to. Or maybe you can and you haven't embraced the reality of the Matrix good enough well know? that's that's basically what the theme of the matrix is but right? even yeah, still totally like, all those you have things to free though, your mind when he does he only frees it <laughs> he frees it to then choose whether or not to interact with obstacles that exist in his path in a more in a less constrained way but the constraint still is that there are obstacles in his path he has to choose what to do with but it's fair you to say where the freedom part is upstream a little bit but then there's still but if it's but if it's possible to move along that spectrum then in theory, you could reach the end. No, well, no, I mean... But it would just make though? for a really shitty movie <laughs> if Neo was just like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm just going to be like a like code now. And then you never saw him do anything and everybody just But died. then at that point, you create <laughs> your own constraints because now you'll be... Like if you become a god of a universe that doesn't yet exist, then you set down a whole bunch of rules and now you have to operate within the rules you set down. Do you though? Do Unless you, you define I the rules... Not to apply to you. Yeah. So does that yeah. mean that when we're building video games, we have complete free will? No, we don't. Because we're operating within the confines of what the software allows us to do and within what our own life experiences allow, allows us to even conceive of. Well, it's and, the idea that operating yeah. within constraints is not having free See, will. See, that's exactly right. It's necessarily true. That's, that's exactly right. You can't actually I define it in a meaningful way well, without taking freedom out of it because free as a word is just meaningless. It doesn't fucking mean here's it. That the sounds one pretty that- un-American, Adam. For yeah, Fourth of July. Well, here's podcast. the thing: freedom cost a buck oh five. That's true. Buy one get one free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. free one get one free. Buy buck oh five. I think my favorite psych study that rolls into this is the one that shows that before you lift your hand to do something, there's a mental, uh, there's a chain of mental activity going on that is about to tell you to lift your hand, which means that your brain is. Your brain already decided to lift your hand before you're consciously aware of the fact that you're about to lift your hand. Yeah, and then your conscious mind tries so to that? decide why you did that after the fact and is really good it at just, just makes making up an shit answer. up. Oh, yeah. I'm lifting my hand right now. It's weird. Well, you're not lifting your hand, Carol. Yeah. Is your hand lifting you're- you? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> your hand.
man just decided to lift and then you as a third because you're effectively a third party observer to what your body does that's true if anybody's so interested does in this, that mean that michael phelps shouldn't get any credit for winning exactly his trials? body should <laughs> his like, body well, should michael phelps, phelps body has is... done excellently in this race <laughs> His brain keeps trying to get drunk and do weed and all this other shit, but his body is trying to be an Olympic swimmer. So that's an interesting idea. If you guys are, if anybody's interested in this, if you YouTube uh, split brain patients, yeah, uh, you'll see some other stuff about this that ends up being really confusing as far as this whole idea of free will and who's in charge and what exactly it is that what you call yourself is doing. Yeah, we're just most of the time. organic automatons with it, yeah. with these little like third party observers on top who are just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with this robot it's riding on. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically they just make stories. Yeah, they go just tying it back stuff. to that first part. Just making stories constantly. And it probably just evolved as a tool for us to socialize with each other, and then it kind of got out of hand. Got a little out of control. Mm-hmm. What if your brain, what if that part of your brain is actually just a parasite that lives on the it robot? It basically is. <laughs> the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. You are just a parasite Whoa. on your body, fucking up its desire to do cool things like win Olympic races. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think that's all we got for today. <laughs> that's a good place to end. Yeah. An existential crisis. Deep conversation for a Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, I think that'll be it for Coffee with Butterscotch for this week. So hope you guys had a happy, happy Independence Day. For those of you who are Americans. Yeah. And if you aren't, just happy 4th of July. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) hopefully nobody lost any digits or anything, you know, from all the ordinance that was exploded. Mm -hmm. And we will see you guys next week. And we to go to podcast.bscotch.net for the, the podcast and stuff. Yep. <laughs> and, for and for questions. questions. And questions. Questions. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye.